thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Good morning, Connect Church. Excited to be in Nehemiah once again this Sunday in the series we have been in now for several weeks. But want to welcome you and thank you for being a part today. We love Sundays where we get to... They did this to me in the first service. (laughs) If you missed my sermon last week, this video was played. (laughs) And I almost couldn't recover. And... That's good. That was last week. That's good. <laughs> Somebody's going to be fired. Anyway, um, I mean, just so glad you are here. And uh, if you missed last week, go back and catch the first few minutes of the, the sermon. You'll see why that video even came in uh, to play. Uh, but we are, we are grateful that you are here. And last week, we found Nehemiah worshiping the Lord in the waiting. And this week we find Nehemiah standing before the king of Persia. Now we're reminded today of Nehemiah, cupbearer to the king, received news that the walls in his his family's hometown in Jerusalem, they lied in ruins. They were broken and the gates, they were burned. Now we know this, that the walls of Jerusalem were broken by the Babylonians and no one had yet to rebuild them. For over a hundred years, The walls were broken, and the people of God just got used to what was broken around them and did nothing about it. Hey, church, just real quick. Oh, to God, we don't ever just get used to the brokenness around us and allow things to continue to be broken. Well, Nehemiah couldn't do that. Nehemiah was concerned. He was concerned not only about the physical condition of the walls, but he was also concerned about the spiritual condition of his people. You see, God had given him a burden for his people in the city, and he used that burden to give birth to a vision to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. And about four months in of prayer and fasting and mourning, it is now time in Scripture today for Nehemiah to stand before the king. Now, it's hard for you and I really to grasp the gravity of this moment. Nehemiah preparing to stand before King Artaxerxes. It's hard for us to put ourselves in his shoes. You see, Nehemiah goes before the king and he allows his burden to show. I mean, you can see the sadness all over his face. His feelings were on his sleeve. You see, sadness in the presence of a king could bring with it the wrath of the king as well. Now, here, think of it this way. Why is it that one of my subjects comes before me and they are sad? Am I not a good enough king? Can you kind of see the slippery slope here for Nehemiah coming before King Artaxerxes sad? But there's also something else that's important to know. Nehemiah's vision entailed rebuilding the walls of the city of Jerusalem. The only problem was is that the walls were broken down for a reason, right? A wallless city was not a threat to anyone. The Babylonians had tore them down because they didn't want a threat to their rule in their own backyard. Why would the Persians now want anything different? A city with rebuilt walls could defend themselves, and the Persians wanted obedience, not defense. What would Nehemiah do? 
Well, the Bible tells us that after praying for some days, worshiping God in the waiting, God moves Nehemiah to stand before the king with the vision that God had put in his heart. Would the king see both Nehemiah and his request to rebuild the walls as a threat to the Persian Empire? And to stop such an insurrection, would he silence Nehemiah forever with his death? No wonder the Bible lets us in that Nehemiah, as he prepared to stand before the king, was terrified. He was afraid. But just as in the days of Moses before Pharaoh and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before King Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel before King Darius and Esther before King Xerxes, It's time for Nehemiah, although he's very afraid. It's time that Nehemiah stand before King Artaxerxes for a time such as this. And we get a little bit of insight into Nehemiah and his vision through a prayer that he prays before he approaches the king. If you have your Bibles, go to Nehemiah chapter 1. And we're going to jump again this week into the prayer we began last week. The prayer that Nehemiah prays before he stands before the king. Hey, by the way, let me just kind of interject this just a little bit of note to help you out a little bit. If you've got a meeting on your schedule this week that you dread, that you are worried about, or maybe a meeting that is heavy or has far-reaching implications, can I just teach a believer something really good to do? And that is invite God to go to your meeting ahead of you through prayer. You got some conflict coming up? Take a moment and invite God to the meeting long before you get in there and for God to move. That's exactly what Nehemiah does. We caught this opening of Nehemiah's prayer last week and now we dive just a little bit deeper. Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 6. Nehemiah continues in his prayer. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself, And my father's family have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant, Moses. Hey, I want to say this. In the first few verses of his prayer, Nehemiah is celebrating God. And quickly, it turns into confessing his sins before God. I want us to take note, church, that great leaders with great vision... Deal in reality and not in excuses. Deal in reality. Nehemiah knew the reality of what was. And through God-sized vision was able to see what could be and, and what should be. Empowered by prayer, Nehemiah took hold of God's vision and worked to make it come to be. Napoleon, the great French conqueror, once said, a leader's role is to define reality and then to give hope. Nehemiah does just that. You see, Nehemiah and the people of God were in the predicament they were in because of their sin. Hey, plain and simple, no sugarcoating it, no glossing over the facts, no excuses, no blaming others or something else. But there's great hope that if they would turn from their sin, their rebellion, and they would walk with God again, He would not only rebuild their walls, he would rebuild them. Not only the walls, he would rebuild them. You see, Nehemiah's prayer is doing what? It's powering 
his vision. Well, Nehemiah continues in this prayer, and he says this, talking to the Lord, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, and now he begins to quote Deuteronomy chapter 4, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. Let's stop there just for a moment. I want to remind you that God keeps both his promises of blessings and his promises of discipline. Even as we sit here today, there are those among us who still believe that God cares little for sin and most about our happiness. But I want you to hear me, church. God will scatter and exile in order to get our attention to deal with us in the reality and the seriousness of our sin. Why? Because he loves us. Why? Because he loves, he loves you. And Nehemiah also reminds God of his blessing of promise. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the furthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. It's amazing that God is at work in the midst of his people. God is working on their hearts and their lives, and it is showing. And now we get to the conclusion of Nehemiah's prayer before he goes before the king, and I love this. Actually, we're not there yet. Let me just read this one part. They are your servants and your people who you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayers of this your servant, to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. So God is at work. Now watch the culmination. You ready? Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Now, We need to ask the question, what is the measure of success for Nehemiah? Was it simply vision accomplished? Or perhaps was success found long before the vision would be accomplished? I look back and i got Coach Lingo here today. And back in 1999, Coach, you'll remember well, we had a state championship football team here at Sevier County High School. Man, I love those days. I love being in Nashville in December. I loved winning the state championship game. But I want you to hear me. For our football team, that is not where success was found. It was the culmination of that success, but that's not where success began. You see, success began long before them. For training for years in the positions each of the players played. Success was found in the, in the sacrifice of, of time and practice and summer workouts and in training the weight room and football camp and hours spent watching film and perfecting plays. Success came, didn't it, Coach, that year when we had a couple of losses. And we learned from those losses what it was to taste the sweetness of victory. You see, success isn't just found when vision is accomplished, but in the many steps of obedience and prayer in the meantime. Success is even found there. And for Nehemiah, success began in the four months where he worshipped in the waiting and powered his vision with, with prayer. Nehemiah's success wasn't just found in standing before the king of Persia, but in all the time he spent kneeling before the king of all kings. That was success. And now we leave the prayer of chapter 1 to find Nehemiah in the presence of King Artaxerxes 
in chapter 2. And in verse 2, we find that although Nehemiah appears saddened in his heart, he still stands terrified before the king. And here's what takes place. Watch this. You ready? That the king would look at Nehemiah upon noticing how sad he was, and he asked, said this to him, what is it that you want? I mean, the open door, the opportunity. And watch what the Bible says. He recounts Nehemiah saying, then I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, this doesn't seem to be a long, fancy prayer. Does it seem like he hit his knees or closed his eyes even? He did what Dave Early calls an arrow prayer. Describes it as an arrow prayer. A short and quick prayer in times of great need when you only have the time at best to shoot a one line or even a one word prayer to God. Let me tell you something about arrow prayers, believer. God uses them. They are powerful, effective, and most importantly, they are heard and they are honored by God. And watch what Nehemiah says, and I answered the king. If it pleases the king after his prayer, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can, I can rebuild it. So that I can rebuild it. I heard it said this way. If you'll notice in Nehemiah's prayer, do you, do you notice what Nehemiah's not asking for? He's not asking for answers to his prayer. He's asking to be the answer to prayer. He's asking for God to use him. In the book Visioneering, Andy Stanley said this way, it is interesting that Nehemiah never prayed that God rebuild the wall. Rather, what he prays for is the opportunity to rebuild it himself. And that is the difference between a dreamer and a visionary. Dreamers dream about things being different. Visionaries can envision themselves making a difference. Dreamers think about how nice it would be for something to be done. Visionaries look for an opportunity to do something. Nehemiah was a man with a vision, not a dream. In church, what this lost and dying world needs is not a church filled with dreamers, but of visionaries. A church that is willing to carry out both the vision and the mission of God to save the world. And such a vision, such mission is powered by visionaries, not dreamers, but visionaries who pray, who pray. And watch what happens here. That arrow prayer reached the Lord and watch what Nehemiah recounts. It pleased the king to send me. And so I set a time. God gave Nehemiah the success he had planned and prayed for. The vision is now out there. It is now clear. And it is now time for what could be and should be to simply be. The walls that were broken will be rebuilt. And so too will the people of God be rebuilt. This is where it gets really cool. As if that weren't enough. Watch Nehemiah's conversation with King Artaxerxes right after this. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? And may I also have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the royal part, so he'll give me the timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall. And oh, by the way, to build my home too. 
And you look at that and you go, oh. I mean, it's, isn't it just enough for him to say, yeah, you can go? But now he has a list of things, but listen to what Nehemiah says. He says, and because of the gracious hand of the Lord my God was on me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates, gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent, watch this, army officers and a cavalry with me. So let me get this straight. Not only does Nehemiah want to rebuild the walls for his family's hometown in Jerusalem, which may or may not be a security risk down the road, but he also asked for the king for letters assuring his safety. So the king not only gives him letters, but also gives him a security detail too. And then he asked the king for the resources needed to rebuild the walls. And, and by the way, king, I, I need, a, I need a, a good pad over there to, to sleep in. And, and could you provide that as well? I need a home there. You know the old adage, where God guides, God provides? Seems to play out here. But here's my question. Isn't that too big of an ask for the king? Isn't it just, isn't it just a little too much? I read the story once that came out of the court of Alexander where there was a philosopher outstanding in his ability but had little money. And one day this philosopher in the court of Alexander asked Alexander himself for a large sum of money equal to $50,000 today. Well, Alexander told him he could go and draw whatever he needed from the imperial treasury. And, and so he goes to the treasurer and he says, I need $50,000, but he was refused. The treasurer of Alexander the Great needed to verify that such a large sum was authorized. And so the treasurer goes to Alexander and asks him, did you, did you give your blessing? Is this an authorized withdrawal? And Alexander the Great looked at his treasurer and said, pay the money at once. The philosopher has done me a singular honor. By the largeness of his request, he shows he has understood both my wealth and my generosity. Church, there is no king, no nation, wealthier or more generous than our God. In fact, the psalmist would write this, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live on it. Psalm 24, uh, verse 1 reminds us this, that God, He owns it all. Even King Artaxerxes. And just when you think King Artaxerxes is, is a powerful king, you realize that that great Persian king is nothing more than a tool in the hand of our powerful and all-powerful God. He owns it all. John Rice wrote it this way, and I love this. Ask God for big things. He is able. The Bible is a book of marvelous answers to prayer, of big faith in a bigger God. Never is there a hint anywhere in the Bible that any man ever expected too much from God or that God was ever displeased because one asked for mighty things. Church, hear me. Do not be afraid. As God has a calling on your life, has given you a vision in your life, do not be afraid to ask God for big things because we know this, He is an even bigger God. An even bigger God. Jesus in His famed Sermon on the Mount would say this, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Now listen, I've got to throw this in here because if we're not careful... 
this type of prayer life becomes about stuff, and we really miss out on what Jesus intends here. I'm going to tell you what this verse is not. It's not depicting God as some genie in a bottle, this cosmic genie that just, poof, what do you need? Poof, what do you need? That's not the picture painted here at all. Rather, God gives according to his will. You ready? As we pray, his will be done in heaven and on earth and in and through our lives. Hey, guys, this is what Nehemiah does. And this is how he prays. And by the way, church, if vision is powered by prayer, which it is, We ought not be afraid to ask big things of our God. So here's my challenge to you, church. My one takeaway today, the culmination of my sermon, when it comes to God-sized vision, you ready? Pray big or go home. Pray big or go home. Because we serve at the very pleasure of the king of all kings who owns it all. And who desires in and through your heart and life and mine to do big things. Things that are bigger than us. Like seeing walls that are broken in the city in ruin. And using us to rebuild it. Hey, God-sized vision isn't always for someone else somewhere else. But it's for every believer who has placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, believer, you might say this, well, good. Well, I I can buy into prayer towards vision, right? Like, I can buy into prayer powers, God-sized vision. Uh, Listen, don't, don't be fooled. Prayer's not only good for vision. Prayer is vital for living out the Christian life. I dare you, go home and read your New Testament and find a great work of God that takes place apart from prayer. We're reminded in James chapter 4, 7 that prayer is the way we defeat the devil. In Luke chapter 18, verse 13, prayer is the way the lost are saved. In Luke chapter, in James chapter 1, verse 5, prayer is the means by which wisdom is given. In James chapter 5, it tells us that prayer is the way wayward Christians are restored to Christ. In Jude, verse 20, prayer is how the believer is strengthened. In Matthew 9, 28, prayer is how we get labors out onto the mission field with the gospel. In Mark 11, we're reminded that prayer is how the impossible becomes possible. I love what John MacArthur said. He said it this way. Everything God wants to do in your life, he is subjected to one thing. Prayer. Prayer. But sadly, prayer is the one thing that we aren't really bought into as his church these days. I mean, we're just we're too busy. You got your job and your school, and I got a wife and several kids, and a field day and awards day, and and then I, I got my motorcycle I got to ride, and I got scrolling to do later on, and, and we're just we're just too busy to pray. I love this tweet from John Piper. One of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. It's too busy. Who has time to pray? 
And then we're surprised when the walls of our families and our communities and our marriages and our, our churches lie in ruins, remain broken down because we've yet to take God up on the truth that what it is that empowers God-sized mission is prayer. So church, pray big or stay home. God desires to do big things into your life. I want to close with a sermon excerpt from John Chrysostom, the great and eloquent preacher of the fourth century. And I want to just read a part of his sermon where he talks about prayer. Now, it's got some old words in there, and, and you're not used to them, neither am I. But just listen to centuries ago. Well, he wrote, he said, The potency of prayer has subdued the strength of fire. It hath bridled the rage of lions, hushed anarchy to rest, extinguished wars, appeased the elements, expelled demons, burst the chains of death, expanded the gates of heaven, put a stop to disease, repelled frauds, rescued cities from destruction, stayed the very sun in its course, and arrested the progress of the thunderbolt. Prayer is an all-sufficient array, a treasure undiminished, a mind never exhausted, a sky unobscured by clouds, a heaven unruffled by storm. It is the root, the fountain, the mother of a thousand blessings, but I have no time for it. You don't really have time for it, do you? And thus how the walls of our cities and our marriages, our communities and our homes and our relationships and our kids remain broken to this very day. Believer in all this talk of vision, pray big or go home because God-sized vision is powered by prayer. And let me just let you in on this. You know what the real beauty of prayer is? It's not that you and I get more and more stuff. That we get more and more of Jesus every time we pray. We get more and more of Him. What is your big prayer, your big ask of God this morning? What is it that you count on your knees before you king and go, God, I need you? What is that big prayer today you're asking of God? Maybe you're here speaking of big prayer. Do you know the most important, the biggest prayer that you could ever pray in your life? You know what that prayer is? Jesus, save me. A prayer of faith, giving your heart and life to the very one who died on the cross for your sins and emptied the grave three days later by coming back to life and my question to every person in here have you ever prayed that big prayer of faith and given your heart and your life to Jesus let's pray together can we as we pray together hey believer what is what are the big things you are asking of your even bigger God today What's broken that needs God's fix? Even looking across the room, for some of you, I know it's your health. 
you, you need God to answer in a big way in your life. And for others, it's relationships that are broken. And, and for others, your heart is broken. Still others, there's, there's dreams that are broken. And still others, your heart today is heavy for people who are broken and apart from Christ. And what better moment than in a moment like this, here in just a minute when the band strikes up and we close in some worship, well, why, why not move from where you are, get on your knees and just ask God to do the big things that only God can do in your life with the burden that's on your heart. And so here in just a minute, we're going to close in just a few verses of a, a worship song. And I, I'm just going to open the altar up. If you want, just come and get on your knees before the King of all kings. It's one thing to stand before King Artaxerxes, and it's another to kneel before the King of all kings. And remember this, believer, with all the love in my heart, you pray big or go home. Ask big. Or just go home. God desires through vision and his mission and his word. God desires to use you. So let's pray big today. Again, for checking out our podcast, be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.